Hello, Mark. This is Neil. Hey, Neil. How are you? Not too bad. All right. Let's get you ready to rock and roll, then. Okay. Okay. I'm fiddle with my stuff here. Hold on just one second. Sure. Neil, what's your last name again? Uh, K-I-E-R-N-A-N. Kiernan. Kiernan. Okay. Yep. <coughs> and, uh... Do you have some title you're going to uh, use uh, in this spokesperson for Zeitgeist? Um, I would just Venus call Project? me the the host for the V Radio. I mean, um, other than that, I mean, I've, okay. I've got a bunch of different titles, but just host for V Radio. Okay, V Radio. Host of V Radio. Sounds yep. good. All right, it's another edition of the Edgington Post. This one's going to be a little longer than usual, so uh, be prepared. And I have with me Neil Kiernan. Neil, are you there? Yes, I am. Sounds good. Okay, um, now you are the host of V Radio, and V Radio is uh, one of the uh, sort of discipleship arms of uh, the the Venus Project. Does that sound right? V Radio, yeah, is my internet radio show. Um, we we I mostly talk about Venus Project-oriented material, but I also do a lot of other things, like filmmakers, things like that, come on my show. Cool. Now, and uh, the Venus Project is the project that was talked about in Zeitgeist 3, and uh, we've talked about Zeitgeist 3 a little bit on Free Talk Live. I wanted to explore it a little further, and so that's why you're here. Okay. Also, um, now uh, first, uh, uh, just to let people know, they can check out my radio show at v-radio.org. We will plug the heck out of your radio show before this is over. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Well, that was it. I just occurred to me I forgot to say the URL, but go ahead. <laughs> You should do that. Um, and don't worry, say the URL as often as you like. The um, So now tell people, Zeitgeist uh, 1 is a, a movie that was uh, online there for a while, talked about uh, sort of uh, some of the problems with government and um, had a religious tinge to it. What's the difference between Zeitgeist 1, Zeitgeist 2, Zeitgeist 3? Well, Zeitgeist 1 um, was originally intended as a musical presentation put together by Peter Joseph. Um during his time in college as a music major. Uh, he had some interest at the time in uh, the work of Acharya S., uh, Jordan Maxwell, um, and he put it all together as part of a presentation that had video accompanying his playing of live instruments. He wasn't originally intending to widely distribute it, which is kind of a project he did for college, an art project. Um, he eventually was persuaded to put it on the internet um, and then it kind of exploded into this thing that it became. Um, and it, it also, uh, during that time period, uh, you know, Mr. Joseph, you know, didn't know anything about the Venus Project or uh, the resource-based economy model. Um, and I'd say as far as major differences, that's largely it. It's uh, focused a lot on different conspiracy theory stuff and things of that nature. And the Zeitgeist movement is not held to any of that. Um, as far as uh, when you move on to Zeitgeist Addendum, um, what what had motivated him from the first film was a lot of people contacted him and said, so what do we do about these various problems that you've identified? Um, and he was looking for answers, and he found Jacques Fresco's book, The Best That Money Can't Buy, and discovered the resource-based economy model, and went and investigated and decided to do another film to give that opportunity, essentially, for the resource-based economy model to be heard of. Uh, and the third film is basically an elaboration on the second one. You know, he, he said that he rushed the second one and he probably should have worked a little harder on it. So he got together a lot of experts, particularly in the issues of behavior, um, you know, human nature, things of that nature together uh, to present the argument with an academic background to go along with the concepts. Got it. So now, um, and Zeitgeist 3 is, uh, does seem to talk a great deal about the resource-based economy. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, I guess you're going to have to tell me what that is. When I saw the movie, um, you know, what it meant to me was let's get rid of money. Well, that's part of it. But um, the resource-based economy is essentially utilizing a scientific approach to determine uh, how best to solve mankind's problems, whether those problems are poverty, uh, war, crime, things of that nature, um, taking that kind of approach, rather than depending on politicians who have a tendency to not even really be qualified in various areas other than just getting elected, um, or superstition or anything of that nature, you apply the scientific method to find answers 
uh, you know, real solutions to problems. Okay. And um, now, you, you, when we talked previously, you'd said that you were a uh, libertarian at, um, at one point in your life. I don't know if you'd describe mm -hmm. yourself that way now. Um, well, I would call myself a libertarian, but I, I also have been doing some more research into the fact that there's more than just uh, market libertarians. Uh, there's actually a very good presentation about left libertarianism that talks about the fact that not all libertarians are based in the free market concept. Some of us you know, actually have different ideas, including self-sustaining types of economies. Um, and okay. so, but as far as like the, uh, the most important part, which I think is to do with personal, you know, freedoms and liberties and things of that nature, I didn't really make any changes. So, um, when you're talking about applying the scientific method to the resource-based economy, um, what that says to me is, um, and, and uh, the reason I was laying the foundation of libertarianism here is because, um, what it says to me is once we find out what the best answer is, someone's going to interpret the data we'll find out what the best answer is, and you're going to follow it whether you like it or not. Well, when you say whether you like it or not, um, I guess that, that kind of puts like a, you know, a negative tone to it, but it's it's a question of like what kind of, you know, circumstances are we talking about? If, if you have two different automobile designs, <coughs> one of them proves to be more efficient than the other, um, then you go with the one that's more efficient. But because we don't believe in any force or coercion, Nobody's going to force you to drive the more efficient car, but the societal values at that point would make you look kind of foolish for continuing to drive a vehicle that's, you know, harming the environment or is not efficiently using resources. Um, that is another major factor that doesn't change at all. There's a strong adherence to the non-aggression principle, not just from the perspective that it's immoral to be aggressive or for use force or coercion, but because we don't even feel it's effective. Um, as is proven by the failures of the state to affect crime, uh, just having guns doesn't solve anything. It doesn't, you know, really fix any problems. It's just kind of a Band-Aid approach of the state to fix things. And we don't agree that that's how changes should be made. We think that education and demonstrating that you're right is the way to get people to go along with that. Now, when I uh, was watching uh, the movies, um, you know, they were the a lot of the arguments were being based on uh, against capitalism. Uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. I was watching Zeitgeist three, and I, I felt that what they were saying was capitalism's bad, and um, you know, they were what they were doing was defining capitalism as what we have today. And I, I know that people do define capitalism that way, and I'm not going to say that that's an improper way to define capitalism. <laughs> However, many people would that listen to this show especially <laughs> would not define capitalism as what we have today. Like They would say that this is you know, mercantilism or fascism or socialism or uh, you know, national socialism. They'd come up with some word that wasn't, fasc that wasn't excuse me, capitalism. Right. Well, no, and, and as a former libertarian, obviously I, I recognize the – I mean, former market libertarian, I recognize the difference between a free market version of capitalism and a non-version of a free market version of capitalism. Um, I think that one of the only problems is, is that we feel that although uh, free market capitalism obviously is considerably less coercive and has certain elements to it, um, it's it's kind of like the argument you get out of socialists or communists. Um, you know, they'll, they'll tell you that what's going on in, in North Korea is not communism and um, they're right. I mean, it's not. It's you know, it's not really communism anyway. They'll they'll tell you that the Soviet Union was not an example of you know successful communism or socialism. Um, the, the the question is, what makes a system or an ism more inclined to end up in those circumstances? And we tend to think that what is in common with all of those systems is money and the use of money. Um, that eventually, well, what I would say is they will come to in that. In common point. with those systems, what I would say was in common with those systems is force. And the use of, uh, you know, weapons and threats to get what you want. And so, I mean, that's, that's the difference between what I believe and the rest of those isms out there. Like, you can't have capitalism if you're threatening people. That's, you know, to me, that, that's, that's the definition of it. Now, I, you know, I, I understand that people will argue that that's not so, but as far as I'm concerned, you have a free, co free economy or you don't have a free economy. You can have a partially a very small uh, economy that has a very small amount of coercion involved in it, but it's still not a free economy because it's not free, right? Well, any system wherein you can be deprived of the basic necessities of life has coercion built into it, regardless of whether or not it's officially coercive. 
Um, and that's where where we run into a problem um, in the Soviet system, you know, the capitalist system, any of these systems wherein money is a main means of exchange. You're in a position where somebody can decide that all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Um, and, I, and we feel that that is common to any system wherein those exchanges exist, as opposed to just um, setting out for your goal to be everybody being provided for. Um, as best as scientifically possible. Um, that's the major difference in our approach. So, um, and, and another uh, issue that I had with the film is that bad uh, fiat currency was equal to bad money. It's like money is bad because fiat currency is bad. And so, I mean, you've got another sort of canard that's put out there, a red herring, a straw man, if you whatever term you want to use, is that because fiat money is bad, all money is bad, when in fact money is just a medium of exchange of other things. I mean, you know, a commodity is a commodity. I mean, you're talking about a resource-based economy. Right. What is gold or silver or any other precious metal or anything that anyone uses as a form of exchange but another commodity? I mean, even exchange, even currencies, in fact, are commodities. Well, you know, and, and we understand the difference between fiat currency and non-fiat currency. There's a couple of different things that I would point out about that. And this tends to be that uh, for example, if you watch The Money Masters, you're watching a three-and-a-half-hour documentary about how many different times and in different ways monetary systems get corrupted and end up back in a fiat, or a fiat system. Um, I mean, and as Einstein pointed out, you, if, if insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, you know, we, yeah, we could fix the money system and make it sound again, but the key word is again, and it is the only thing that I have found to be consistent about money across the board is that it will find a way to be corrupted, um, and not the money itself. Well, I don't obviously. know that that's People true. People will do will find a way to corrupt its use. I don't know that that's true. And here's the I think the problem is all along, like I I will agree that you're looking to make a change, and that that change is essentially, uh, you know, Stefan Molyneux called it uh, called it what uh, Marxism with robots. I think mm -hmm. it was probably more accurately described anarcho syndicalism with robots, but. All, um, and so you've, you've got all these societal changes. You want to see how the, the world live in these sort of concentric circle cities. Uh, you want to abolish property. You've got a, a whole bunch of things that you want to see happen. All I want to see happen, one simple thing, and I'm not saying it's easy, but it is simple, is no one's allowed to hit, punch, shoot, taser, threaten, or coerce anyone else. And so to, it, I, I want a different world than what we have today, but my rules are a lot simpler, right? Like, so I don't have to deconstruct all these other things. Well, right, but, you know, when you consider that the, the source of most violence and the source of most, you know, evidence of basically people seeking coercion comes out of circumstances of scarcity. People do it to survive, um, either directly to drugs. survive. Well, drugs. They do well, mostly for drugs. <laughs> well, drugs uh, are, are certainly an issue, um, and that's kind of. But they are also a reaction to the stresses inherent in the system. Um, no, I mean, I've drugs, lived in. Look, birds yes. drink. Birds will eat fermented berries. I mean, mm -hmm. the fact is, human beings and creatures on Earth like to change their uh, their their mental states. Does the well, yeah. I've, have, I've, uh, I've, Oh, do we have an issue about that? No, you you can do whatever yeah. you want with your body. Um, we're gonna make you know, we're gonna pay attention. We're gonna publish what happens when you do it. But it's yeah, our attitude about things like that. It kind of comes back to once again, as I said, it's not just that coercion is wrong; it's that it's ineffective. You look at the uh, reoccurrence of drug use in countries like Amsterdam, Switzerland, you know, that are decriminalized, and they have a much lower per capita drug use. And people who use destructive drugs are generally looked at as foolish. You know, there isn't any necessity for any, you know, stormtroopers beating down your door to prevent you from using them. Crack cocaine is destructive. That is self-evident. That's an example of using uh, education to help people reach good decisions as opposed to thinking that your gun is going to stop them from smoking crack, which, I mean, that's what I was going to say is like um, my own personal experience is I grew up in a very low-income area and the stresses of the circumstances would drive people to drug use. Um, crime rates are always higher in low-income areas and in the areas with, you know, excessive amounts of inequality of income. Um, and once you improve the environment, these kinds of behaviors go away on their own. There's no benefit to seeking um, any kind of coercive advantage over anyone else, and therefore the tendency to want to do it goes away. Um, the same thing is basically true of gang violence. Um, you know, the gangs basically were based around the idea that I don't want anybody to hurt me, so 
therefore I better hurt other people and get them to leave me alone rather than just, you know, creating a circumstance wherein that's not, that's not necessary. You don't have to do that. We don't hurt each other here. Um, that's, that's just one example, but overall, I, I hope that answers your issue about what people do with their bodies. We don't, we don't advocate or support the use of any specific drugs, but, um, just like things like, uh, uh, when it comes to things like junk food or other destructive things, you can generally demonstrate to people that this is not a good idea. Um, and if you get, if you pull the advertising out of it, then there's a lot less inclination to move in that direction. There are people who actively right now, uh, culture wise do their best to get people to use drugs. Like the work of Edward Bernays, for example, in getting women to smoke, uh, was totally sociological effect. He figured out how to get inside women's minds and make them think that their, you know, imbibing tobacco was an expression of their freedom. And that was all profit motivated. Um, those kinds of things would go away in a society that we suggest. Now, um, the, 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 uh, what, what I'm hearing here is that you want to rebuild society from the ground up. Mm -hmm. And I guess the question I'd have with that is, how are you ever going to do that? I mean, society up to this point, I mean, if you go and dig in Jerusalem, you'll find, uh, you know, city after, or at least different iterations of the same city that are, you know, thousands of years old. I mean, they can go find um, older, basically when you dig in most metropolitan areas around the world, you find an older iteration of itself. I was uh, just watching, uh, you know, uh, a uh, thing on um you know some author and it was uh, talking about how glasgow was you know a significantly older city at one time and now that the old alleyways are buried and they built a whole new city on top of it right. how are you ever going to get the, to blow the whistle and say all right time out everybody we're gonna build concentric cities and we're not going to use money anymore and we're going to have a super robot tell us what to do well, it all depends on um, the circumstances, although there isn't just going to be a super robot telling anybody what to do. But um, uh, I would also well, – let me give you an example of like what I said at the Agora uh, presentation I did recently, which was a presentation to some libertarians online. Um, Agoraio.com. Right. The uh, the circumstances are that, you know, a lot, we've asked these questions of a lot of different stateless organizations, people who support stateless organizations. And – my advice to them was, rather than trying to change the system as it currently exists, because it's designed to stay exactly the way it is, go out of your way to make the state as irrelevant to your life as possible. And the best means to do that is actually through self-sustainable technologies, making money and trade, at least for you, as unnecessary as possible. Not, you know, banning it, not telling you you can't do it, but making it so you don't have to. Become as self-producing as possible. Um, get out of the grid, uh, you know, get off the grid. Off the grid living is an excellent example of a personal, small-scale resource-based economy wherein you It's also have highly your... inefficient. It's How highly it... inefficient. I mean, at the... Off the, the grid well, living is inefficient? Because, yes, uh, because the specialization of labor makes things more efficient. I'm a pretty good talk show host in that I make good money doing it. I'm a terrible farmer. Um, my time would be better spent uh, selling my radio ads and increasing the rates at which I sell my radio ads than it would be out hoeing a garden. I would be better off, even if I wanted my own garden, to um, – and, and by the way, I have chickens, and they're pr at probably worth about $50 a pound right now with mm -hmm. uh, considering the amount of uh, feed that we've put into them and the uh, the area that we've built for them. And, you know, we, we have chickens for the luxury of watching – silly brainless animals peck at the dirt um we don't have them for the purpose of you know we, we take their eggs obviously but we haven't uh, killed any of them not to say that we won't ever but mm -hmm. it's i, I mean I, I can tell you from experience it's an extremely inefficient way to eat i eat that way i know well it i don't i wouldn't really call that inefficient i would think inefficient is that i'm completely reliant on the whims of the state's regulation of my currency and my, you know, uh, especially when it comes to um, the quality of food, the state does a terrible job with that. Um, a lot of the products that are offered in the market are offered with the profit margin being more important. You end up with 
frankenfood like created by companies like Monsanto. I could eat organic significantly cheaper than I can grow organic, though. That's mm -hmm. what I'm trying to tell you, is that the specialization of labor inside of a complex economy is extremely important if you want to have um, uh, innovation. Well, um, I don't really, like I said, I don't agree with your assessment, but I, I see where you're coming from. I have um, the chickens. I, I'm, not, I'm not assessing anything. I'll show you the numbers, what I pay for these animals. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm so, not assessing but, anything. But getting off the grid and being responsible for your own production and therefore making the state irrelevant to you, um, at least as much as possible, uh, that's that's essentially what I'm suggesting is a stateless okay. society model for people on an individual basis is rather than trying to get politicians elected into a system that is designed to ensure that the system always uh, regulates wealth up top and makes the majority of people poor is, is never going to... It seems like work. a rush to the bottom to me. It, it mm -hmm. seems like a good way to not be very wealthy that when a, an emergency comes in your life, you will not be able to pay the hospital for the, those actions, which, of course, the hospital will probably, because the government will still exist, and therefore the hospital will have to treat you. Um, you should be fine in doing that, but I, you know, I've seen no, you don't have do to stop doing thing. things. You don't have to stop doing things to make money. That's, that's not what I'm suggesting. Um, and, in fact, a lot of people who live off the grid, like the uh, open source ecology, you can check them out at openfarmtech.org. They've researched in how to make, how to produce their own crops. They ended up selling their crops. They couldn't even get rid of all of them um, because there were so many. And they were able to bring in quite a quite a pretty penny doing that. Um, I'm not saying that you stop producing unless you, I mean, unless you want to. But it's more of a matter of I need to make it so that the majority of my needs are no longer dependent on anyone else. I don't have to have an electric company, I don't have to have a gas company, and I don't have to go to the department store unless I want to. That's the goal. Um, and so if you want to, obviously, you know, in, the, in those circumstances, because people don't really think about that. They think, I need a job to pay my utility bills. They don't think, I need to invest in technology to get rid of my utility bills. Um, well, you can't invest uh, because if you need a job to pay your utility bills, and you're talking about I need a job to pay $200 a month, if you're saying I want to invest in um, stuff to get me off the grid, then you t need $100,000. You know, I mean, like, talking about there is additional investment, but in comparison, people invest that much in their own businesses. Um, they invest that much in their own education, and uh, because of the state system, uh, in many cases, they fail. Um, whereas well, I, if you're investing in your own future, then you have control over it yourself. There are certainly people whose businesses have failed um, that have invested in them $100,000 in them. I'm not going to dispute that, but I would say that um, I'd like to see more people that manage to pull off the sustainable living thing, um, you know, uh, with off the grid kind of uh, deal uh, before I would, you know, lots of people that. doing that. Me, There's whole subculture. There are lots of people, but they're poor, you know. <laughs> I guess it depends on what you, what you determine wealth to be. The majority of people I know who get off the grid, um, the freedom involved and the lack of stress in their lives is is worth a great deal. Um, and I wouldn't call them poor either. I mean, a lot of these people, in particular the ones, as you pointed out, it does require an initial investment. Most of the successful off the grid people usually had a little bit, you know, considerable amount of money to get started. And then afterwards, you know, they could still have a job if they want. That's the difference, though, it's if they want. And if for some reason the economy collapses due to, you know, poor monetary management on the part of the state, you're not sitting there starving. That's what I'm saying is that it's it, too many people are completely dependent on the system. They're, they would have no idea what to do if every department store was suddenly abducted by aliens. They would have no concept of how to take care of themselves. And that actually puts the state in a position to have a lot more control over your life in the long run. Yeah, indeed, um, that much is true. I mean, the state controls the, the corporations, and the corporations control the things that you get in life. Um, a statement was made in the movie that the, the famine in the last century was caused by poverty. We were just talking about poverty here, and um, I would disagree with that. That last, and, and this is one of the problems is, um, you know, our conversation here bears little resemblance to the movie that I saw in Zeitgeist 3, and I think that that makes either, that means either one of two things, right? Like, you don't agree with, the guy who made the movie, and there's a schism within the movement already, or it means that the guy who made the movie didn't do a very good job of portraying sort of um, you know the the reality the reality of what it is that the uh, the Venus Project's about. Uh, and well, can you I tell me what was the big contradiction? Because I haven't really I talked to Peter Joseph on a regular basis. What did you think was so different? 
well, what I hear in there is a is sort of the the railing against uh, capitalism, the right. monetary system, right. um, you know, poverty, a sort of egalitarian feel to it. And the reason that Stefan Molyneux called you guys, um, called your belief, uh, you know, Marxism with robots, is because it smacks deeply of sort of that communist feel. And maybe um, you guys don't intend to use guns to force people to be involved. You just intend to build the best commune around, and people will flock to you. And that would be awesome. But um, I, if you – like the presentation isn't there. To me, what I saw was sort of this – you know, everything but the, the red flag flying in the background when I watched the movie. Well, I, I think that's kind of a <laughs> – uh, I don't know how you got that out of it because um, we never said anything about running around and rounding anybody up or putting anybody in any camps or forcing anybody to do anything in the Zeitgeist 3 movie. Um, well, when you say that there's a resource-based economy, that means somebody owns the resources, right? Who owns the resources? The world. Okay. Common, well, <laughs> common heritage. The, the whole world owns – I've, I've got some. I've got 11 acres of land, some trees on it, some water on it, uh, a couple of automobiles, and a house. Who owns right. that? Um, right now, within a monetary system, you own it. Well, once the monetary system's gone, I don't. Well, because of the fact that we don't believe in coercion or force, if you want to continue owning that property and claiming it for yourself, then uh, then that's up to you. Um, the transition phases about this, like you know, what happens as we're changing our minds so to speak, over to this new system doesn't get talked about as much in the film. And it's not because there's some big, deep, dark secret. It's because, if, you know, he doesn't feel it's as relevant. Um, he's presenting it to people who don't really spend as much time thinking about property rights as you do, generally. Um, and, I, and I get that. And I, I understand where, they're, you know, where you're coming from, because I would have asked the same questions before. But basically, you know, as an example, um, Jacques Fresco, for example, pointed out that the Amish, due to their own beliefs, would never want to take part in a highly technological system. And he said that the answer is they don't have to do whatever they want. And more to the point, um, if for some reason some disaster happens, we'll help them, you know. So it's been, it's beneficial to them at that point. You know, we will continue to demonstrate the benefits of the way we're living. And if you want to participate in it, then great. And if you don't, you don't. Um, there's a lot about our beliefs on how to prevent crime um, and things of that nature that would not function in a coercive element. We don't believe that crime should be prevented, you know, and you know, through coercion and introducing people into a circumstance where they are not comfortable is going to create anomalous behavior. Period. So it's not it's not even that's one of the reasons I said it's not effective. It doesn't fit within our philosophy. Um and more to the point, uh well, if anybody, I would agree that crime go ahead. Go ahead. Well no, you go ahead. I would agree that crime will be diminished once you have um a situation where well, basically, what you're saying is, is you're going to take resources and they're going to be doled out sort of uh, in an efficient fashion. And you know, once things are sort of uh, once there's not a need for a scarce uh, substance, then you will see crime diminish. I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. But I, I also think you're going to, um, you know, I, I don't. I think that there's a couple of uh, thought processes here that I don't get. First off. Um, you know, the concern for scarce resources. Over mm -hmm. time, uh, there has been more production of food. In the last hundred years, there's been more production of food as the population's grown. Um, so, you know, technology creates a system where the, you know, you, you don't have scarce resources. Like, uh, resources expand in order to, uh, to meet the needs of people. Okay. And so, I mean... It's, so a more it's a necessarily this optimization um, system where you have a, a a big supercomputer deciding where what goes where isn't entirely necessary when the marketplace does a reasonably good job of uh, doling it out. You know, I mean, like there's a lot of evidence that it it, it manages to to do that on a pretty efficient basis, especially when it's not coerced. I wouldn't say that it's efficient. You have a lot of because of the, because it has a profit as profit motivation as its driving factor. You have the motivation to create things like, you know, advertising that is that you know, manages to go beyond just talking about your product and into brainwashing the people that are watching your commercials. You knew your research on that. Films like Cywar. Uh, oh no, it's true. You know, things along that line. You know, you end up in you don't, to, you, don't, you don't have to explain it to me. I, I right. Lie. Okay. Absolutely. No, that's fine. You'd be surprised. Advertising is brainwashing. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many people don't. So I apologize. I wasn't meaning to talk down to you at all. Um, 
But uh, you know. in addition to that, though, there's also, uh, you know, fashion, things of that nature, a lot of artificial constructs that are created uh, that do not by any means encourage the uh, efficient use of resources. They don't encourage any kind of which, ecological, you know, use of resources either. As which as, art you know, is acceptable and which art isn't? Art is acceptable. Paying $3,000 for a handbag it depends on the fashion. Paying $3,000 for a handbag, um, and that's not an exaggeration, that's not acceptable. Nope. <laughs> well, it's just it, it's it's just fiat currency, right? <laughs> well, that's probably <laughs> why they, they think somebody... of it that way. I mean, and that's an example, actually, of the social stratification element. As was pointed out on one of my previous radio shows, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but there was an iPhone app that was called I'm Rich, and it cost $1,000, and it did nothing. It was just a status symbol that I wasted a thousand dollars, and I have this iPhone app. That's an example of inefficiency spread of the price modification. Um, well, enough people, people that they enough people bought it that they actually got rid of it. But yeah, <laughs> um, the, the point is though is that yes, eventually it was it was deleted. Um, I don't know all of the details about what happened with it, but I know that it existed, and that essentially its function was just to brag about the fact that you have a thousand dollars. Um, and that's an example of an inefficiency in the system that's created when when you're essentially uh, wagering everything on price. Now, if you didn't have all of these artificial isms that you know were created, essentially things like I said, fashion is an example, uh, various social stratification elements like I'm a better person because I have a bigger house than you do, um, things like that. You know, if they weren't around, then you know you, you'd be right. But my problem is is that. The price system, you know, I understand the, the mechanism. I actually, you know, I do, being a former market libertarian. Um, but it also creates a lot of other circumstances that are not friendly to the earth and to the people on it. Um, the notion that on the, I'll on agree the with same, that. the same New York street, actually, the funny thing is, in the, if you look at the beginning of the film, um, that New York street is based on a link that I gave Peter Joseph about a street in New York wherein there are three thousand dollar handbags for sale. And there are homeless people lying on the ground outside the streets, you know, on the streets. Well, and yeah, the so, idea that you would spend $3,000 in a handbag when there are people starving outside is an example of the inefficiency of the market system to dole out resources in a humane fashion. So, um, you know, there's – let's address the handbags first, then we'll address starving people. Um, sure. Starving uh, – so handbags, first off, those handbags give jobs. Um, in their creation to lots of people. I, I would assume that it takes uh, quite a few people to uh, create that handbag, and those people all have work that sustains them and their families as a result. The fact that people will pay $3,000 for a handbag just means that those uh, those people that create handbags, and we need handbags, right? Um, those people that create handbags, they probably create other handbags too that don't cost $3,000, and so they have jobs as a result. The people with, that are sleeping on the street and have no food, there's a variety of reasons in that, um, you know, like for one, lots of them are crazy. And I'm not to say that crazy people shouldn't eat. I'm just saying that, um, that the marketplace could, if free, and people didn't spend 60% of their wealth going to the government, 50, 40, 50, 60% of their wealth going to the government, they would have more money to create better systems to deal with people that are crazy people that are hungry. Um, you know, there are some people that choose not, choose not to work and they choose instead to do drugs. I would prefer to see a system where those people are incentivized, i.e. empty stomachs, to actually stop doing drugs and start working again. Um, you know, certainly they have problems, uh, but there should be places where they can go in order to, uh, to fix their little problems and then they can get back to work like the rest of us. Well, let's not forget about the fact, though, that it's it's a misnomer to believe that everybody who's unemployed is crazy or or drugged out or just chooses not to work. Um, there's a lot of unemployment that's created within the system as uh, automation becomes more prevalent, um, outsourcing becomes more prevalent. That you know, there are plenty of people. For example, like you know, here in Michigan, I had to go to the unemployment uh, line not long ago, and I was not surrounded by welfare mothers who didn't want to work. I was surrounded by educated individuals who... Unemployment and part, unemployment and, and famine, uh, you know, unemployment and, and hunger are two different things entirely. Okay, well, but I mean, my point the, was the that line, there were plenty of people who are unemployed who don't want to be unemployed, and uh, not by any choice of their own. Agreed. 
no doubt. Um, those people, you know, I mean, there's there's opportunities in the marketplace to uh, to open their own businesses. I hope they can do it. The government created minimum wages, um, the regulations that the government creates in order to make it difficult for businesses to function. They're, thereby, they have uh, less money to employ people. All these things, uh, you know, lead to that situation. Don't forget the fact that the government's regulations and, and its uh, wages and its corporate welfare drive uh, the companies into other countries uh, so that, you know, people around here don't work. I think the best way you could handle that is to create a free market, open up the borders, and let people work for what they want to work for. And also a sound currency would probably change those things. By currency, I don't mean a government-issued currency. Well, no, and, and competing currencies is, is a possibility, but I, I would also point out that one in four businesses fail in the first year, and one in four of the ones that succeed fail in the next four years. Some of that could be argued to be due to government interventions and coercions of, a great deal of that of nature. Um, but another good deal of it has to do with just the business practices of the people who are on top. Um, Indeed. Well, and the business practices of the people who are on the bottom. I mean, you know, the fact is I worked at a uh, restaurant at one point washing dishes. The guy said I was the worst dishwasher he ever had. My hands bled. I was slow. Mm -hmm. I was terrible at washing dishes. They moved me on to waiting tables. Mm -hmm. His brother, who ran the front end of the restaurant, said I was the best waiter he'd ever had. So, I mean, you know, some people are cut out to do some work, and some people aren't. If you got the fat girl doing a stripper job, she's not going to make as much. Well, yes, and, I, and there's also obviously the element of the consumer, which I've heard is supposed to be the arbiter to deal with things like sweatshop labor and things of that nature, putting people who want to give somebody any form of a fair wage out of business. Um, but I, I honestly, after looking at it as much as I have, um, even before we had a lot of the same state regulations that we've had in the past, there were always large pockets of poor and tiny pockets of rich. And they do things, you know, cartels, uh, things of that nature to get together to be sure that they stay on top. Um, and I don't think that would change absent the state. I think that it would be a little bit more tricky because they'd have to actually just do, you know, some shrewd, uh, shrewd yet, uh, ruthless business practices to get on top, but they could still get there regardless of the state. Um, that's my assessment anyway, if, based on Indeed. what I looked at. Don't you think – now you're talking about the future here. I'm talking about the present, but let's talk about the future. Don't you think that um, technology as it exists today is moving more towards a, uh, a machine like they have in Star Trek, the replicator, where it will create mm -hmm. anything you want, big or small? Would you agree that society is moving towards that? Yes. Um, and I've spoken to engineers that is moving toward, uh, moving towards a device that will create unlimited energy. Um, well, I mean, even with the energy technologies that we have now, we're basically there. But the the ones that are the more profitable are based on fossil fuels, and a lot of business has gone out of the way to be sure that we don't know about the alternatives. But Yes, we are moving in the direction. Yeah, the internet of isn't going to allow that to happen for much longer, Neil. I mean, the internet, the internet is the great equalizer here, and you know, it's just yet another piece of technology that will create a more egalitarian society. Once you have the device that has unlimited energy inside of it, and the device that will create whatever it is that you want, if you wanted a gold-plated. Uh, two-stroke gas-powered strap-on, um, and it'll. <laughs> <laughs> throw that thing right down on the table for you. I mean, mm. I, I mean a jewel-encrusted gold uh, two-stroke two uh, gas-powered strap-on. And, you know, there it is, right? Like, at that point, the whole society changes. You'd, and I think we're a lot closer to that than we are, okay, everybody stop, let's make some concentric cities, and we'll uh, have a big computer dole out the resources. I think we have the resources. The resources are in, um, invested in technology, technology within – let's say the next 30 or 40 years, could very well solve all of these problems, making the state irrelevant, um, making, making uh, you know, want irrelevant, making poverty irrelevant. And if it takes some rich people today living it up, snorting coke on their Learjets in order to get there in 30 years, I don't really care. I'll admit to you that I think that uh, we would have a better system if it was, uh, you know, that the state is creating the ugly system that we have today. We would have a better system if there wasn't a state. But I, I you know, you would agree that your Venus project isn't implementable today, right? Um, well, no, but neither is a full free market economy. Um, and that's why I, I suggested to people that the first step is to, is to get those technologies and to use them to free themselves now. Um, living off the well, grid I'm not, is a reality. I'm not, talking about a free, 
I'm not, not talking, even talking about a free, free market technology right now. I'm talking about a, a, tech, uh, you know, a situation where technology brings us away from the point where we have to we even have to worry about sort of the allocation of resources. What I'm talking about is just don't hit people, just don't threaten people, and we could get there. And we will get there. It really doesn't matter whether people continue to hit people, continue to threaten people. We're going to still get there. Hopefully, we can get there faster rather than slower. But, you know, your technology isn't implementable. So the conversation that is being had in Zeitgeist 3 is essentially once we have teleporting machines, it's very important that it doesn't mess up our hair. You know, like you're having a conversation about something that doesn't exist today. It could, it well, couldn't exist today. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. The majority of everything you saw based on the, in the resource-based economy presentation that he put in Z3 is all based on existing technologies. The only thing that you know you're talking about, like if you're going to take things as far as like transporters and teleporters and all that, I don't recall teleportation ever being used in Z3 at all. Um, there is about you know producing locally, no, no, so no. you don't need to transport at long distances. I'm making a, I'm making an analogy. I'm I'm sorry. I'm trying to make an analogy okay. in that the, the technology to implement um, what what I you know the resource based economy with the giant computer in charge doesn't exist today. So the concern that we build a society <laughs> with a giant computer in charge of, of uh, allocating resources is kind of it's kind of superfluous because we don't, we can't do it you know uh, a lot of computer systems already exist that are being used in major corporations right now that regulate large quantities of transactions and resources there was a project uh, used in chile some time ago called project cybersyn and that was done with 70s level technology um, I mean, 70s level computers, and it did a pretty decent job of regulating the Chilean economy during a major strike at one point. Um, and it's because the ability to move technology is all there. Um, I, I do feel, I mean, that technology, information, and as we progress in the information age, advent of things like the internet, you know, real time monitoring of resources are actually all doing very well in the technology sectors right now. And major corporations are using that same technology right now just for themselves. Um, now, I do want to address the issue that computers making the decisions um, and understand it in the proper context, which is that a machine is not going to turn to you and say, well, you can't marry her. Um, <laughs> a machine is not going to turn to you and tell you um, where you're going to sleep or, you know, or what religion you're going to have or anything along that nature. It's more along the lines of you have a thermostat in your house. The thermostat regulates the temperature. It tells you what the temperature is. Um, it's not in charge of your temperature. You still are. Um, you still decide what temperature your house is. Automated systems like the ones in your refrigerator that ensure that your refrigerator stays cool all of the time, you know, it, it, you don't have to go in there and physically turn on the cooling agent whenever you, you know, because that would be tedious. We're talking about using technology to automate any functions of the state that you've seen previously that, that have any purpose at all. And, and that's just an infrastructure. Um, so basically, you know, if, if you set it up on a smaller scale, you could have a central computer system um, in an off-the-grid home that monitors your hydroponic farming systems, that monitors your uh, solar array, you know, gives you reports on how good the energy is, do you need more, um, and that's essentially the same function the central computer would have, is that it's helping us um, to analyze information in some cases in a way that the human brain is not capable of doing on its own. And then we reach the, um, the most equitable and the most scientifically sound answers to problems. That's a lot of it is just the methodology. Um, coming to a conclusion of, um, particularly, you know, as I used the example earlier, um, do you need a department of sewer that's run by a bureaucrat who's probably corrupted by whoever gave him, you know, money for his campaign? Uh, to fix a problem in the sewer, or do you design the sewer from the beginning to be extremely easy to fix uh, with an automated system that detects where the problem is, deploys a robot to go and fix the sewer pipe that was designed in the first place to be easily removed? Um, you know, that's that's the major difference. I mean, otherwise, you know, in a bureaucratic system, you know, that guy who's corrupted, well, he was probably corrupted by a, you know, construction company that gave him a nice fat cash, you know, um, you're right. And, you know, uh, 
I absolutely agree with what you're saying, Neil. This mm. is the siren song of central planning. If we could just have everybody wear uniforms, if we could just have them, you know, uh, create uh, things that are interchangeable, and you know, we'd have the the robots fix it. This is truly the siren song of central planning. But it's kind of, the, you know, it's been shown throughout the years to not work, and it's not because of the computers and the efficiency. It's because of the people who program them and run them. Would there not be people programming and running computers, or is it that you're talking about this entire societal mind change? that humans are going to stop being, uh, you know, greedy and self-serving? Well, uh, some of it is the issue of um, the societal mind change, that's for certain, because your value systems change um, when you're not in a circumstance of scarcity. Uh, however, um, a lot of it is also comes down to this. When you're programming anything that's going to be governed in society, you have to demonstrate that that's scientifically more sound than somebody else. If you don't like uh, what the way that a computer is programmed, for example, let's say it's not uh, it's not efficient, it's producing more of a given resource than is than should be, and it's causing ecological damage. Those are not matters of opinion. You can prove that through the scientific method. You can develop a hypothesis, test the hypothesis, and then therefore prove this needs to be fixed. Um, if you have a solution, then you can prove that your solution will work better. Science offers those possibilities. Politics doesn't. Politics is a tendency to create circumstances where, well, I'm attractive, so therefore you voted for me, and for four years I get to run your life, and uh, if you don't like it, that's too bad. Um, in science, in a science circumstance, you know, I don't have to, you know, give me an example of a totally, you know, messed up, you know, example of the state. You know, obviously the, the weapons of mass destruction that didn't exist. Um, in, a, in a rational society wherein science is the governing factor, we would have been able to easily prove that there were no weapons of mass destruction, and then a policy would have been affected directly by that. You know, you could have. And I'm curious as to how you would have proven that. Well, a lot I mean, of it. You don't have well, the there was there was enough evidence. There was enough evidence already. We ignored it because we've been conditioned to believe that politics is still the solution. We're not. This is another major aspect of how you you prevent fascism is through education and in education you you very much emphasize on critical and analytical thinking skills you teach people about the elements of propaganda fear-mongering um, logical fallacies and then it becomes really obvious when somebody's trying to do something like that um, instead we have a society that the education is actually moving in the other direction critical thinking is not valued uh, listen to what you see on the boob tube um, don't actually think for yourself you know, Bill O'Reilly knows best. He's being paid to be there to tell you what's going on, so you should listen to him. And that's Bill O'Reilly is far uh, from a from a percentage standpoint. Bill O'Reilly is far less viewed than um, the nightly newses of 30 years ago. So, well, um, no, in fact, I, I, the the diversification of television has allowed for uh, you know a lot of different opinions to be out there. Right, but at the same time, um, I, mean, I, I know you know this. I mean, you're you're a free-thinking person. How often do you have frustrations with the fact that there are people that are listening to that rather than Free Talk Live? You know, um, I, I I'm of the opinion that people are. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm sorry to say this, and I can't come up with a better uh, opinion, but they're willfully ignorant. So willful ignoramuses. Right. Um, how how are you going to take those that. people and make them logical? All I'm proposing to do is tell them, hey, no more hitting. Um, you know, whereas you're looking for the societal change, I, I guess what confuses me the most about it is, to me, this is my view of the future, is that we're likely to solve the problems that you're talking about, the problems of allocations of resources, the problems of a, you know, a, a coercive state. We're likely to solve those in the, inside of decades because of the progress of um, technology and so what's the point in trying to create societies that will better allocate resources when there won't be an issue of resources, I guess is what I'm concerned with. Some of us feel that we need to be going a little bit faster in that direction because of the fact You're not that... going to get there faster with a movie. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Where is your concentric that's... circle city? You have, are well, you gonna, I mean, there's lots of cheap property out west. Go buy some property and start building the concentric circle city is what I would recommend. Uh, I picked up and moved my life for the Free State Project because I believe in this. Well, no, and, I, and I'm not saying that that's a bad idea. And if you if you look at um, Zeitgeist Addendum, one of the things that Peter suggests is that people should work on getting off the grid. Um, and that's essentially the first stage. It would be great to go ahead and build the cities. 
Um, but before, the other thing is, though, is, is that the value structure needs to change before those cities can be effective. It will certainly help um, to have a circumstance of no, you know, scarcity, but you can't just take a person out of this system alone without having spent any time helping them, be, you know, become enlightened, you know, as to... The I method. think you'll get the value system. I think you'll get the value system you're looking for once you have the situation you're looking for, which is a lack of problems based around resources. Well, and, I, and I think you're going to, to solve those problems based on resources through the free market. It has the foothold that getting off the grid doesn't and can't create. Well, I, I don't really agree with that, and that's for the reasons I already gave earlier. The market is still intent on uh, hindering certain technologies if they're not profitable. Um, electric cars, an example. Different alternative energies are examples of that. And as long but as electric cars are going to be produced, they got the they got two electric cars that are coming out this year. The market right, isn't right. trying to hinder that. Long did that. it take to get that to happen? It could have happened a long time ago. Well, there were electric cars when I was a kid, and you know they they were just you know they were little rolling around rattle traps. The technology wasn't there. You didn't have battery technologies at that point. If people would have focused on it, yes, the marketplace would have created the better the battery batteries in a shorter period of time. Is because Texaco purchased the patents for those and prevented them from being widely distributed. You're, you're talking about the what killed the electric car movie. There were electric cars when I was a kid. They were little triangles. Um, I don't know how to I, – I, I don't know the name of them or anything like that, but they were all around. There were several of them in the city of Bradenton in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. I mean, you know, they were, they were little tiny golf carts essentially, and they were only good to drive around in the city because they really couldn't get above 40, 45 miles an hour. Well, right, but that's uh, there was a limit to what the to how, you know, how far the technology was taken that it did not need to be put there, um, and that that's basically the differences that I was trying to get at is that because of the fact that there's a market interest in continuing us, you know, continuing the perpetual dependence on oil, um, alternative technologies are held back for that reason. And obviously, I mean, you don't you don't believe in intellectual property, and you don't believe in things like patents being able to hold people back. So, you know, that that is a state element, um, but. It's not to say that, you know, uh, circumstances like, for example, the trolley system that was purchased and then put out of business because they wanted people to buy automobiles um, by the automobile industry. They purchased the mass transit systems and then deactivated them. That's an example of the market system holding back technology. Um, now, that has happened. That's absolutely true. Um, you know, and I will, I will agree with you that uh, large corporations have colluded with the government. However, I think the problem is the government because they have they give the corporations, these large companies, the oppor opportunity to collude. Neil, I, I have to cut this off. It's, right. uh, it's time for me to do the show. Thank you for your time here today. I hope you feel you were treated fairly. Oh, no. And um, tell people – thank you. Um, please uh, tell people about your radio show. That way, they can find out more. If they, if, you know, if for whatever reason I have poorly represented libertarianism and you've been ex entirely convincing to them, tell them where they can go. Well, um, v-radio.org hyphen or minus. So uh, if you go there, and that's my website, you can also check out thevenusproject.com and thezeitgeistmovement.com. And that's v-radio.org. I want people to really understand. You got to put the org in there because .com isn't going to work for you. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, beyond the fact that the the dash is the part that's tricky, and uh, but yeah, v okay. a hyphen a minus or dash, you'd be surprised how many people put that in wrong. <laughs> All right, v-radio.org. Thank you, Neil Kinnan. No problem.